Hey guys, you're listening to episode 12 of the Finish Line Podcast, where we discuss the intersection of faith, generosity, and personal finance. Today we're going to be sitting down with Tim Barker, the director and founder of ROI Ministry. We're excited to hear what he has to say. Let's dive right in. guys, welcome to the show. My name is Keelan Hobelman, and I'm here with my co-host and brother Cody. We have Tim Barker as our guest today, who is the founder and director of ROI Ministry, a spectacular organization which screens kingdom-oriented ministries on how effectively they use donated funds. We can't wait for you to hear more about Tim and the incredible global impact God is achieving through ROI Ministry. Before we jump in, I wanted to remind you guys to check out the Finish Line Community Facebook group, where you can find other people seeking to honor God and experience deep joy and purpose in the way they handle their money. This kind of lifestyle happens best in the context of community and relationships. So check out the group on Facebook when you get a chance to find more people like you. Now let's get to the interview. All right, welcome to the show, Tim. We're excited to have you. Over the last couple of months, both Cody and I have gotten to learn about the work that ROI Ministry is doing and the impact you guys are having through helping connect people to effective ministries. And we're really excited to dive into a little bit of conversation with you on that subject today. I think you have a lot to share, both from your personal story, as well as from the beginnings and development of ROI Ministry itself and what you guys have accomplished through your organization. So welcome to the show. I'm excited to join you. Well, why don't you just get us started with a little bit of your background and a little bit of your personal story? Sure. Yeah. I originally I grew up in San Diego, California. I was working my way through school and didn't know what I wanted to do. I changed my major a couple of times and saw some pictures on the wall and said, that's what I want to do. And I saw huge buildings coming down, massive cranes and other large pieces of equipment. And I came in the next day and talked them into uh, hiring me. And that's what I've been doing ever since then. Uh, currently, I work for one of the largest design engineering firms in the world. We've built many of the iconic structures around our nation and the world. The Rio Olympics were many of our structures that we design engineered, as well as the World Trade Center, what was there before and, and now, the World One Center. Some of the we're currently in the process of building, designing the largest cable state bridge from Detroit to Canada, be even longer and larger than the Golden Gate. And so my job is to come in behind where there's older structures or power plants or industrial facilities that have outlived their usefulness. And we take them down and clean them up. And so kind of like golf, you drive for show and putt for gold, the building implosions, uh, stadiums coming down, which I'm often involved with behind the scenes is the the golfing, the driving part. Uh, But the putting where we make our money is the environmental remediation, clean up the buildings before they're taken down, and then the soil and groundwater afterwards. And I've been doing that now for about 30 years and have really grown to become a subject matter expert in this field. Well, you've certainly had a very interesting career. And on top of that, you are now also the director of ROI Ministry, a ministry that you founded yourself and are doing some incredible work through that organization. Why don't you walk us through a little bit about how you went from this 
technical engineering background to the development of ROI ministry and how you bridge the gap into the work that you guys have been able to accomplish through that organization. Sure. Yeah. Early on in my career, I worked for some of the larger demolition decommissioning companies, and that led to me plateauing and then starting my own business. And I was financially doing very well. And during that time, uh, it allowed me to write checks and invest in great organizations around the country and around the world. And I, I really enjoyed that. And one of those organizations, Equip, founded by a Dr. John C. Maxwell, took me around the world, which I love traveling. I love surfing around the world. <laughs> and so I had an opportunity to do both and volunteered to go to Indonesia. And what they did is partnered a business owner with a pastor, usually a mega church pastor. And we would go out two by two and commit to a city uh, around the world. And there were hundreds of these cities that Equip had similar leaders. And we would go for a week or two and lead a two-day conference and take the local leaders through six lessons. And there was no charge. We underwrote all the expenses so that they could come. And their only requirement was that they train 25 other people. And so after we left and before we came back six months later, they had to take 25 other people through those six lessons. And then we would do it again with a new book. And after the end of three years, the participants would have gone through 36 lessons. And for some of them, it was the extent of their formal education, whether in business or even pastors, because there was a a leadership element, a business element, and a spiritual development element in this training. What it also did is it really gave me a heart for people around the world. I would meet some of the uh, kindest, gentlest people that lived off $60 a month, and I would come home and tell my wife that they had these things that I really wanted in my life, and they were love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, and would even doubt that I was a Christian comparing myself to them uh, coming back, running my business with all my struggles and challenges, so-called struggle and challenges, comparatively speaking to, to what they uh, deal with each day. So God really gave me a heart for the people of the world. And, and I had prayed really a dangerous prayer and God answered it in a way that I wouldn't wish on an enemy. And that was that, <laughs> that he would allow us to make even a greater impact. I mean, up until that time, we were giving and going and serving, but we wanted to do that in a, in a bigger way. And so shortly thereafter, I had two of my largest clients not pay me seven, nearly seven figure progress payments. And I had never had any substantial bad debt my whole 20 years up until that point. And here was two massive amounts and realized, you know, you know, is God behind this? And over the next three years, while I was in litigation or arbitration, excuse me, trying to get paid, which I ultimately did, but but it was a garage sale. Even when you win a legal case after attorney fees, interest, and the other things, you really don't win. The you know, as the saying goes, the attorneys win. But we didn't. We even had to move out of our house for a period of time, sold all the equipment, had you know thirty employees. I had to let go, and it was agonizing. But during that time in the wilderness when we really didn't know where our next meal was coming from, you know, God provided a friend of mine opened up his, his house, beautiful house, pool, lake. <laughs> Some, one of my boys didn't want to leave it, but uh, he opened it up so we could rent out ours to keep it and not lose it while I was in litigation. And, and uh, also during that time, I encountered some research, saw it on the generous giving website originally. And that was at 97% all Christian giving goes to really 
nations and people, or most of it, that are already Christians. Kind of we're you know spending all that God's entrusted us, all we profess that is His, to preach to the choir. And 2.97% of all giving was going to the nations that were evangelized. They've at least heard the message of the gospel, but they're still, they're not Christian nations, less than 50%. But the most tragic thing was one-third of 1% was actually making, and this is all Christian giving worldwide in all forms, was actually making it to the poorest, lost nations in the world. And that, that was heartbreaking. What was worse, but also good news, is that that small amount that made it to the the poorest, lost ends of the earth, kind of the group that, you know, you just open up your Bible and Jesus says, that's where you need to go. <laughs> we got one third of 1% going there. But that one group overall sees 3,000 times more fruit. And again, open up your Bible, immediately you see, you know, where the harvest is ripe and the workers are few. And it was a perfect example of that. And so we said that there's the answer. And started to look for those ministries that were ministering in various ways, whether compassion, water, food, sharing Jesus, leading people to make indicated decisions for Christ's discipleship in those places, in those areas. And sure enough, we, we found ministries that were not only seeing 3,000 times greater results than where the average Christian dollar is given today, but 30,000 times greater results. And uh, got excited, started taking that information to you know, the Ron Blues of the world literally sat down with Ron Blue and Hugh McClellan, who founded Generous Giving and had sold a multi-billion dollar company and was spending the rest of his life giving away hundreds of millions of dollars. And and uh, many others, uh, president of the National Christian Foundation, people that I could, in my own strength, get meetings with, and God just orchestrated it by accident that I would be sitting in front of them trying to hand off this idea and each one of them rather than taking it or, or telling me, hey, Tim, that's a half-baked idea, allowing me to kind of move on with my life, uh, they each each one encouraged me and said, you know, that you're, you're on to something, Tim. Sounds like God's laid this on your heart. But, you know, I protested like Moses. I am also not eloquent in speech, but I also didn't have anything at that time. <laughs> I was still in recovery mode and said, you have resources, I don't. And um, But nonetheless, I prayed that God would bring alongside uh, some people to help me with this. And he did. And and it wasn't too many years later, he completely restored the years, the locust ate, and we were back on our feet personally. And uh, God has you know done great things through this ministry since then. Yeah, what an amazing story of God bringing you through that wilderness. It reminds me of so many times in the Bible where God walked people through that same process. I mean, there's the whole nation of Israel wandering through the desert. There's Jesus in the desert for 40 days getting tested. And it clearly seems like that is the route that he chose to bring you through to the foundation of ROI ministry. Yeah, it really is. Uh, you know, the, the verse talks about lest the seed falls to the ground and dies, it cannot bear fruit. And, you know, during those times, those hard times, God has to chip off some rough edges to be able to use you. And I have more rough edges than I have smooth edges, and I probably still do. But, <laughs> but also, I think he's got a sense of humor that he'll pick the most likely, unlikely people sometimes to do things. And uh, that that would pretty much summarize me. Even during my day job, I uh, work at a, like I said, a, a large design engineering firm. We also have federal government clients, and we develop internet securities and uh, applications and different things. And it seems like nearly all of my colleagues have a number of initials behind their names, PE, PhD, PG, 
And I'm a you know dyslexic dropout surfer from Southern California, and I'm in a leadership position. So he's he's got a, a sense of humor <laughs> that I've got PhDs and PEs on my team, but you know I, I struggle writing a complete sentence. Uh, so yes, it it is it is funny. I'm reminded of the phrase: If you want to go fast, travel alone. If you want to go far, travel together. So, Tim, could you tell us a little more about how God brought a team alongside you and how that has contributed to the growth of ROI ministry so far? Yeah, that's a great insight. And you're exactly right. I don't think you can do anything. Matter of fact, I I don't think I know you can't do anything that's going to matter or make a difference by yourself. (laughs) And if you take credit for it, you're you're lying, because that's where I was at. I I had this idea. I'm I was assuming God had put it on my heart. It appeared to be an answer to prayer, but I didn't know what to do with it. And we did not want to be part of the problem. As you looked at most of these ministries or where all the Christian giving, most of the 97% of Christian giving goes, it's it's organizations that start off oftentimes amazing organizations that for, for years plow and then a decade or two later start to see great fruit. And they're uh, wonderful organizations. And then oftentimes they veer from that, that vision and, and then they end up getting into this, just cr- trying to raise enough money to exist and continue to, to do what they felt like God had called them to do, which he had at one time, but they may have unfortunately got off target or went a different direction. And so we didn't want to be part of that problem where we were, you know, uh, one of the wealthiest people and nations in the world going out there and looking for others to, help support us in this mission and vision. And we also wanted to make sure that we didn't have any bias, that we remained totally unbiased. So I, I say, God, we, you know, if you want us to do this, we got to do it in such a way that we're not raising support. And to this day, we don't even take checks. If you send us money, we're, we're going to send it back to you. Or we're going to tell you where to give it to. And it wasn't just for bragging rights. It's because we wanted to not be part of the problem. We want to be part of the solution. And so I said, God, you know, we're, I'm going to need some, people that have resources. And when you build a board or an advisory board or a formal board, typically they're made up of wisdom, wealth, or working leaders. And I needed all three. And so one in particular, uh, David Mims, he and I had served equipped together, not alongside, but uh, we had met and equip and kind of hit it off. We, we ran into each other and I had shared this with him. He was immediately on board. So there was the, the financial support. There was another person at that time, one of the original people would come around this idea that that had a lot of internet and IT abilities, real, real brilliant guy. And so he helped me develop and launch our first web- website. And then there were others along the way that God brought alongside just at the perfect time. Some were, you know, scaffolding to help get us to the next level. And they were there for a season and, and moved on. And for the most part, everybody else that was there in the beginning has stayed. A lot of boards have turnover and we have very little we the the people that God has brought alongside have have stuck with it and uh, continue to serve and give and support this so that we continue to be able to offer a free and I think invaluable service to the Christian community because we're really just helping them know they're making a difference and making a greater impact. So Tim, you shared about how you started to get in touch with some of these other organizations in the the greater generosity sphere, like generous giving and the National Christian Foundation, and we're talking about this idea of finding these effective organizations. And they kind of put it right back in your lap and said, you know, this is a great idea. It 
needs to be done. Why don't you get it started? How did you go about taking that first step of, of actually finding these effective organizations and building that initial top 10 list? Yeah, oftentimes when I met with these people, and work just happened to take me to Chattanooga, which isn't too far from where I live now in Atlanta, Georgia, and was there one day and said, I'll just stop by Generous Giving and and say hi and tell them thank you for really directing me uh, where I needed to go with this idea or, or really planting that seed in my heart. And as I shared what I just shared with with you to what I think may have been like their associate executive director and the fact that he was even available to meet with me because I hadn't planned on meeting with anyone in any type of leadership position. I was just wanting to stop by and kind of introduce myself to whoever may be there. He, after I talked for about a half an hour, he just had a smile on his face and said, hey, would you like to meet Hugh McClellan? And Hugh McClellan, for those of you who don't know, he he's the guy that third generation Provident Insurance had ended up selling to Unum and, and nearly a billion dollars in his pocket and wanted to figure out ways to give that away over the rest of his life in ways that mattered for all of eternity. And so course, I wanted to meet Hugh McClellan. He started Generous Giving and, and many other great things. And so I said, yeah, I'd love to come back and meet him. He said, no, let's go meet him right now. <laughs> so he took me up to the to his corner office there in Chattanooga, sat me down, said, tell Hugh what you just told me. And I went through it again, and Hugh got a big smile on his face. And he had Faith Comes by Hearings proclaimer sitting on his desk. I didn't know what it was at the time, but it's a solar panel device that has Matthew through Revelation orally in thousands of different of languages or many different languages you could program on it. And so this device is a discipleship tool used around the world where people, you know, you give most people a Bible that haven't heard of Jesus. The reality is they're going to use it to cook their next meal because they're, they're, they're literate, they're oral only people. And so <laughs> the uh, faith comes by hearing stood in that gap and developed this device. And Hugh handed it to me and said, here's, Here's something that should be on your top 10 list. And sure enough, we looked into their impact per dollar, and it was just off the chart. It was great. I think it ended up being just like a few dollars to take somebody through from Matthew through Revelation. And because Jesus said to teach them all that I've told you, they define that as discipleship, Matthew through Revelation. That's all that Jesus told them. And uh, we thought that was great. And for us, when we, we find a top 10 ministry, not only do we have to find the impact per dollar, which is a challenge, and I'll tell you how we do that here in a minute, but also what is that impact? How can you quantify it? So for a ministry to say, well, we're quantifying discipleship is taking someone from Matthew to Revelation. That's great. Now we can explain what that is for, for two bucks or less than two dollars. And others, too, would introduce me uh, to answer your question to, to various ministries I uh, I know, Keelan, that you have been impacted by the life of the Barnharts, and uh, so have I. And I um, you know, went to them to present our idea, and Catherine is the one that heads up Gove, their, their foundation. Catherine Barnhart and her husband and his brother manages the business. And so, you know, people like that that have mentored us and helped us along just by seeing how much further and farther they are ahead of us <laughs> in their walk. And for those of you who are listening that don't know this, the backstory for Catherine and Alan Barnhart is here's a couple that wanted to be missionaries. And Alan's dad had a you know a small crane and rigging business, which, by the way, I've used before in my industry, very well respected. And, and they felt like God wanted them to build the business and support missionaries rather than go on the 
the mission field. And praise God, that's what they did. Because rather than two of them going out into the mission field, they've been able to send thousands, hundreds of thousands of missionaries around the world because their business got blessed and they are one of the probably top two or three crane rigging companies in, in the country with revenues and in, in the hundreds of million. I'm sure their valuation of their companies in the billions or at least a billion. But nonetheless, they established <laughs> a finish line and it, it was very low, definitely for someone in their, their position today. Actually fairly typical for two working couples today uh, would be kind of an average income. And that's their finish line. And they haven't become rich as God's richly blessed their business. They gave it to the National Christian Foundation so that 100% of all the income that they made could go into the kingdom. So, And I could go on and on and on about different people that God has allowed us to, to meet, Issachar conferences and, and others, and, and the, the networking, the, the people that just came alongside us at the perfect time when we needed that help or, or needed that answer. And, and God orchestrated it. So, Tim, you talk about finding an impact per dollar for these organizations. Can you expand a little bit on the process of determining what that impact is for each of these organizations and what types of impact you guys look for specifically? Sure. And actually, the idea of impact per dollar wasn't something that, that we came up with. Matter of fact, I'll just say there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing that's <laughs> that I think any of us come up with that somebody hasn't done before, but we're able to use it to help us in what God's called us to do. And in this case, it was a Jesus film. We had heard per dollar, one indicated decision or $2, one indicated decision per Christ by the Jesus film going to places where there is no internet. People don't have smartphones and they'll put up a, a sheet and play the, the story of Jesus and the local native tongue, and people will come to know the Lord and make a decision for Christ. And on average, that was occurring for $1, $2 per person. So that's where we got that idea of, of impact per dollar. And we just thought it was brilliant early on. And so they clearly <laughs> were on our top 10 list from the beginning. And we have two of them, Jesus Film Harvest Partners, uh, which is a denomination that we, we love because they're taking the Jesus film and then they're connecting people into local churches and small groups. So it's not just a raised hand or a checkbox. It's truly a um, indicated decision for Christ followed up with a uh, growth track. And the other being the Jesus film. This is the project that Bill and Von A. Bright were behind. It's founding. And it's just amazing. They're using it through many other organizations and partnerships and again, they're using it in such a way that they're not only leading people to the Lord, but also that, that next step into discipleship into the local church. And, and so we're very excited about that. And so we would find these ministries and we would reach out to them. And originally, some of them, you know, especially the larger ones <laughs> may or may not have been interested, um, which was good because we would continue to, to look and look and look until we found organizations, whether it was providing clean water in Jesus' name, or food, or discipleship, or evangelism. And uh, we would tell them, hey, congratulations, it looks like you're going to make it on our top 10 list. We, we see that your impact per dollar is amazing. We're able to quantify and qualify that by looking at their financial information, by looking at their how they track the uh, outcomes, and then what that outcome is. You're providing a meal, well, is it a saltine cracker and a Dixie cup of water, or is it a real mill? Uh, you're providing clean water. Okay, great. 
how much clean water is it clean water for a day, a month, a year? Well, you know, we're finding ministries that were providing clean water, never thirst. It's on our top 10 for a year for less than a dollar. That's amazing. Serve providing meals for a few cents per person in Africa. The mailbox club, they're providing discipleship to children. And how do you define that? Well, they're taking them through 12 notebooks over a 12 month period. And what's neat about the mailbox club is I think we all know that statistically, if someone doesn't come to the Lord in their youth, the odds of them coming to Christ later in in life is, is very small. And so it's a crucial time. And here's an organization that does discipleship first. And then after these kids are discipled, then they become Christians later. The evangelism follows. And I could go on and on and on, but the the challenge for us is exactly that. How do you qualify and quantify that impact in dollars? And then what are you doing? Originally, we did that ourselves, and we did a pretty good job. When you look on our board, I mentioned David Mims. He's one of the wealthiest developers in uh, the Southeast. You'll see his name all over town, him and his dad's name and his brother's. Very successful. Uh, Randy Walton, Walton Consulting, Chip Brackley, Wealth Manager, And I can go on and on. Just a lot of brilliant people that God brought alongside us that has allowed us to look at these organizations the same way that we look at business dealings or acquisitions or the things that we do a day in and day out. We were doing a pretty good job, but then people, you know, not not a lot, but some people would say, "Well, how do you know for sure?" You know, that's you looked into it, but that's not your day job. And I was aware of Calvin Edwards and Company, and I knew that wealthy, generous givers would use Calvin to vet organizations before they they stroked a six or seven figure check. Um, that's good stewardship, by the way, um, making sure that the organization is ran well, that it's going to have a, a good impact. And sometimes they'll Calvin will even follow up and make sure that the gifts went where they were supposed to go, were used how they were supposed to be used, and saw the fruit that the ministry had anticipated they would see based upon their historical results. And so I thought, wow, this would be a great opportunity for us if we could get Calvin to vet our top 10, but it was going to be incredibly expensive. And uh, he does a great job. You get what you pay for. But we just, again, in God's sovereignty, I had a couple couple guys, uh, David's son, Eric, who I knew was going to take over their company. I knew Eric was going to be extremely wealthy in the future. And then there's another young man named Chad. His dad owned or owns Jackson Family Healthcare. And uh, I knew that was going to be incredibly successful. And so both of these guys, I knew that they were going to um, have a lot of people asking them for money. (laughs) And I wanted them to be grounded in what God's word said. I wanted them to be generous givers, but I wanted them to be wise. And I've never asked either of them for, for a dime, but Chad ended up or I think at the time and still is managing the family's foundation and said, Tim, I know that God's put on your heart to have Calvin one day vet the ministries. What do you think if we partnered with you and and if we could get the ministries to cover half that cost, we would cover the other half. And I said, Chad, I I love that idea, but let me get with some of the business guys on our board and and we're going to go work on Calvin on his price. (laughs) So we were able to get him come down on his price, but we also were able to get him to come down because we only wanted to focus on the impact per dollar. So we limited what we were looking for and it worked. It was a win-win for everyone. And so since then, each year we uh, will renew that. Thankfully, if you're a top 10 ministry and you stay on the list the following year, it's, it's half the cost because half the work is required. And then the foundation picks up half and the ministry picks up the other half. 
ROI ourselves. We don't have to touch a dime. There's no handling fee. The money goes straight to Calvin Edwards. And we have that research to provide to givers uh, that ask that question. How do you know what the impact is per dollar? So, Tim, we've talked on the show about this concept that we call compound impact. And we mostly talk about it in the context of giving now and throughout your life as opposed to doing it all at the end of your life. And that ensures that those dollars are moving and the people who are directly impacted by those dollars are, are going out and doing great work in the world. And, and we love that. But as I listened to you speak and as I looked more into ROI ministry, it really changed the way that I viewed giving and the importance of effective giving, especially. It seems that if we are giving effectively, then it just amplifies that compounding effect. So my question for you is, what is our responsibility as Christians to give effectively? Yeah, that's a great question. I tell you, it's there's a couple of things that you touched off on, and I'm, I'm going to try to answer each of them. The first one you talked about was the age-old question in the giving community, do I give now or do I put it in a donor-advised fund and then give into perpetuity? And in that donor-advised fund, it's accruing interest and um, able to use that interest to keep giving, you know, for a hundred years or until Christ returns. And I think there's some benefits to that, but also I'm also saddened at how much is going to be in those accounts when Christ returns that doesn't get used. I'm saddened in the fact that there's opportunities right now to give and reach people and nations where there's just a small open window. I'm saddened that we may be building storehouses and storing resources to give over 10, 50, 100 years that we, where there's needs right now, and God can, again, restore those financial resources that he's blessed us with to continue to give in other ways. So I, that's something I've struggled with. I, I certainly, because of what I know now and the impact that we can make in different places and, and seeing where there's there's doors that are only open for a short period of time. I personally, I, I don't put any of it away to, to give into perpetuity. I'm, I'm going to give right now. I don't want to miss out on reach, meet, reaching that next Billy Graham or Bill Bright or, or Mother Teresa or whoever that person is we could be reaching now that could impact the world. So that, that was part of your question. Keelan and I have talked a lot about where to give money. And I think both of us give to causes that we feel emotionally pulled toward, or we feel called to give in a certain way. And now my eyes have been opened to this second group of organizations that are measurably the most effective at things like serving the poor and sharing the gospel and fostering discipleship. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on how we can strike a balance between giving where we feel called and giving where those dollars are the most effective. So there's a, there's a couple things there. Does Jesus provide the answer to those questions? And I would say most definitely. Does the Bible, is the Bible clear on these things? Most definitely. First thing I'm going to do is take care of my family. I don't have much of a witness or any witness whatsoever if I'm not providing for my family spiritually, financially, in other ways. But with everything, there's got to be a balance. So after I've done that, then I'm giving to my local church. That's always been actually the first and, and but we found out is people that take care of their family and give to their local church, especially people that God has given the gift of generosity and gift of giving, um, he'll bless them far beyond what they can give to the local church to other things. And so there, then the question is, well, where, now where do I give? I'm supporting my family. I'm giving to my local church. God's blessed me over and above. You know, I'm tithing. 
that's great. And now I've got all this other resources from these other business ventures. And that's where I would say that we come in. We really at that point want people to look at how can you use those resources to make the greatest impact possible. If God's no respecter of a person, right? That and and I recall the day that I was in Indonesia looking at a poor boy on the street missing my son back in America, going, God places no greater value on my son than this poor impoverished kid on the street. And so what can I do to help him as well as my son? Not one or the other, not and or, but both. And so because of that, I think that's really where ROI ministry comes in is is now you've been blessed. Now, how can you use those blessings to make the greatest impact? When you give to our top 10, they're doing ministry where they can make the greatest impact. Our single metric is measurable kingdom impact per dollar when we vet our top 10. So we're looking at those organizations. Oftentimes it is the end of the earth, but those same ministries that are reaching the ends of the earth, like global media outreach They've got thousands of online missionaries. They're reaching people in closed nations over the phone, over the computer. And you can go to their website today and turn it on. And you can see in real time people making indicated decisions for Christ, people being discipled. And it's in the millions of people that they're reaching. And it would be a shame to pass up that to, to go give you know, all your money to the Humane Society. And I have nothing against Humane Society. All the pets that we've ever, I should say ever, but most of the pets that we've had have been from the Humane Society. (laughs) And we have four in our house right now, two dogs and two cats. But it would be a shame for me as a Christian to be more concerned about animals in cages when there's young girls and boys in cages and and sex trafficking and, and other things around the world. And so when I look at that, I look at those problems, whether problems at work or problems in the world, I'm looking at what is the root cause of those problems and the morbid evilness of people that would do those things is they don't know Christ. So we're wanting to reach them. We, we want to go after their hearts. We want to change them. We want to, we want to provide hope for the person that was abused. And we want to let them know that there is a Savior and that there is hope. I think at this point, you've mentioned a number of the organizations on your top 10 list, and they seem to fall into a couple of different categories. You mentioned some organizations that provide direct, tangible needs, serving the poor, providing food, water, things like that. Uh, You've mentioned about organizations that are actually carrying the gospel to the world and working through evangelism to bring those who don't know Christ into a relationship with him. And then you've talked about organizations that focus more longitudinally on discipleship and that long-term relationship with Christ and in the building up of the church. How, as believers, should we think about focusing our giving between these different types of organizations and the different kind of needs that they meet? Great question. Yeah. So I, and there's been this movement through Christianity, and I don't think it's a good one where it's give where God, you know, where you think God's put something on your heart or give where, where it makes you feel good or where give out of the goodness of your heart. And I'm thinking, man, my heart's not that great. (laughs) And the Bible says my heart's not that great. So does God in his words to us through the Bible provide us clear direction on this? And the answer is most definitely it does. And to put our feelings, feelings are fine, but to live your life or for me to live my life based upon my feelings would be disastrous. I have teenage, I have a teenage daughter. I, you know, the last thing I want to tell her to do is follow your feelings. That is terrible advice. <laughs> now, uh, so our, our feelings 
bad or good. They could be bad. They could be good. Sometimes what we think is love is, is lust. Sometimes we think what is good, it's it's really not. And so is there some way to get clarity on that? I say most definitely. God's clear as can be. And I've even heard pastors, I have tremendous respect for say this. And I say, don't say that anymore. I don't tell them publicly here, but I would say that if I met them, you know, don't, don't say just give where you think you're being led without, you know, thinking about it. In, in some cases, and I'm going to eat my words because there are those times where the Holy Spirit just puts on your heart, you need to go help that person and give them some ridiculous amount that you're like, wow, that's more than I probably should have. And in those cases, I say, you need to do exactly that. That's not what I'm talking. I'm just talking about you know, giving based upon the things that pull your heartstrings that may or may not take precedence over what God tells us in his word. So what does he tell us in his word? Again, it is very clear. For us as believers, for us that believe, and for me, I believe more that, you know, there is a God and he sent his son Jesus to be our savior, then the sun will come up tomorrow. I mean, I'm, I'm putting everything on that, that based upon that, it would be so sad for us to help somebody with food and water and medical and education and build them a house and never tell them about Jesus just to pat them on the back to an eternity apart from Christ. So for us as a ministry to do anything without the Jesus component is a disservice. Preach good news to the poor, set the captive free. In the parable of the minas and talents, he's encouraging the good stewards that invested. And just so you know, that story isn't about investing to become rich. It's investing what God has entrusted us. He was the master that went on the journey, and he's entrusting his three different servants with what he's given them to multiply it. And if you notice, the one that multiplied it the most is the one that's honored the most. In one of the parables, the other, they're all honored equally, but the one that just buried that, that basically, and this could have been a rich person, but what God gave that person to multiply the kingdom they didn't use. So God's very concerned that we are good stewards. And then the other part of that, then where? Well, the most important thing is sharing him, leading people along in their walk with him, and clearly, at the uh, story of the Good Samaritan, which would be probably better titled as the story of the good neighbor, Jesus told him after they took care of the person's wounds and put clothes on him and fed him to go do likewise. So Jesus has told us, you know, to provide a cup of water in his name. So there is a precedence for us to provide food and water. But again, sharing him with that, and I think not sharing him with that is a disservice to people in light of all of eternity. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. So from your point of view, what has been the trajectory of the greater generosity movement, especially here in the Western world? Yeah, I think it's exciting. I mean, I love organizations like National Christian Foundation that can come along people that have been blessed with resources to show them how to give more and save a little what you've saved in taxes and, and you have a decision on where it goes. And so that's a great model that they have. I love the model, but their challenge is the same exact challenge that we have. And that is getting people to kind of separate from, you know, what they've been giving to sometimes that may not be as effective as other ministries. And and my wife and I suffer from the same thing. We were supporting a missionary for years. And when God laid all this on our heart and, uh, you know, we never pulled the plug on her, but it was hard for us to, and this was a Western missionary in a foreign place for us to continue to do that when there were other places that local missionaries that knew the language, knew the people, and were seeing tremendous amount of fruit and were in the mission field for two to three thousand dollars a year, whereas Western missionaries obviously cost that per month. So, you know, this was this was a challenge for us. We didn't pull the plug, but we gradually started to move. 
as we would encourage others with these huge donor advised funds to start moving those resources into ministries where they're making a greater impact, not just based on where they have relationships or their feelings solely. You know, when Jesus gave us the greatest commandment, what's really interesting, when he reached back to Deuteronomy 5, 6, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, he added mind to it (laughs) in two places in the New Testament. And so what's interesting about that is every Jewish listener there that recited the Shema every day of their life would have caught that, as well as love your neighbor as yourself. It would it would be like us changing the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, how Bill and Bob be thy name. I mean, we would we would immediately catch that. And they would have caught that, but we miss it today that God wanted Jesus and God incarnate wanted us to add our mind to the equation. Yeah, our feeling, our heart, definitely don't ignore that. Our our spirit, our soul, our strength but also to keep your mind engaged. And so for me, it's challenging for me to see that that God has blessed people to become very wealthy in the marketplace, and they take the, the head off their shoulders that God gave them to create that wealth, and they don't use it when then they give it away. They're, they're giving it away based upon a friendship or a relationship or, or basically who's asking, rather than where they can make the greatest impact. So that's where we're trying to be a resource and come alongside the NCF and and other organizations that are, are really exploding right now in this generosity movement to take it to the next step is, yes, let's be generous. That's that's great. But let's also be wise in our giving and let's follow the biblical model, the model Jesus gave us uh, for giving. Well, Tim, I think I can speak for both Cody and I when I say that this has been a real blessing of a conversation. We have both learned so much through you and your personal story, and through all of the work that you and your team have done through ROI Ministry. And we're excited to see the work that you guys will continue to do in the years going forward. Before we finish up for the day, I just wanted to get to our manager minute. Every week, we like to take a second and share one quick tip for something that people can give to today with any excess money that they have. And when we have guests on the show, we like to give our guests the chance to give one of their own suggestion. So, Tim, do you have any recommendations for what people can be doing with any excess money that they have to give away? Sure, most definitely. I mean, whether it's a dollar, ten dollars, a hundred dollars, or a million dollars, we clearly believe that our ROI ministry tool is a great tool for allowing people to know they're making a difference. That's our our motto: to know you're making a difference. Again, ROI ministry. We underwrite all the expenses for this. We don't receive gifts directly. Uh, But if somebody wants to give through our ministry to one of these top 10, we have donor advised funds set up so that they can do that. We did that so that we don't have to touch any dollars or any giving receipts that you'll receive at the end of the year from the National Christian Foundation. But also it allows people to give anonymously. And so some people want to give a big gift, but they want to give it in a way that nobody's calling them up afterwards or or following up on it. They just want to give and give in a way that's anonymous. So we we provide that. And if your heart is is excited about kids, we again want you to engage your mind too and do that in a way that you can give to the most effective way and impactful way as possible through one of our ministries to kids. Uh, likewise, if it's providing clean water or medical needs or education or discipleship or evangelism, we have a ministry for you. So again, we we want to encourage people to, to follow their heart in that sense, but also uh, using their mind and, and their soul and strength that they clearly use to create wealth, to, to love God in all four of those ways, 
and consider our top 10 ministries. Again, something that we provided as a gift to the Christian community with nothing in it for ourselves other than the same thing that the givers get out of that. And that is knowing on the other side of eternity that we were able to impact maybe thousands or millions of people in ways that mattered forever as compared to maybe a a few dozen or a few hundred by not being as wise in the ways that we can be. So thank you. Absolutely. And and thank you, Tim, so much for joining us on the show today. I think that there is, is a lot that we have to take away from today, and I hope we get the chance to talk again soon. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the show, guys. If you want to learn more about ROI Ministry, make sure to check out their website at roiministry.org. As always, if you have any questions about setting a financial finish line or anything else you heard on the show today, we would love to hear from you. You can reach us on Instagram at finishlinepledge, through our website at finishlinepledge.com, or by email at hello at finishlinepledge.com. Send us any questions you have, and we'll answer them on one of our future episodes. And if you want to find any of our references or links from today's show, you can find them in the show notes at finishlinepledge.com slash episode 12. That's all we have for today. We'll see you next time. 